Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. All right, so we are starting a brand new series today, and it's called Reach. And uh, this is a really, really important message for us because we, as a church, have a vision. And it's a vision statement you'll see out there on the wall. And it says, reaching people that are far from God and teaching them to follow Jesus step by step. The very first part of that, of that vision is to reach. And what does that mean? Well, to reach means to reach beyond where you're currently at. It's like to step outside of your comfort zone. It's to find somebody where they're at and pull them where you are, right? We're going to reach other people. And some of you, the reason we're talking about this message is because most of the time when, when we say this right here, the way I grew up and our misconception is, is that this statement, because it's hanging in the church building, means that simple church must be the ones that reach. And what that means to you is that this guy right here is that it's my job to reach. And so everything we do as a church is structured that way. We structure our services to be reaching. We structure everything, our grow groups, our growth track, all that we are organized around is to reach people. But, but it is an error to believe that it is just my job to be the guy reaching. In fact, there's a biblical mandate, there's a biblical call on all of our lives to do that. See, the Bible describes me as a pastor. My job, my job is to equip you for the ministry. Because the, who are the ministers then? Well, it's you. You have an individual responsibility to be part of our vision and reach and find other people. In fact, this was the basis of Jesus finding his followers at the beginning of his ministry. In Matthew 4, 18, we see this. Jesus is gathering up his followers, or his disciples as they were called. And it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter. Peter's the same guy who walked on water. That's the same guy we see in the Bible. He says, And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Matthew didn't want to leave out a detail, just in case you didn't figure it out from them being on the water and casting a net, for they were fishermen, right? That's, just for, that's for all the guys in the room that maybe you didn't catch on to stuff real quick, right? Is anybody else like me? You got to have it spelled out for you? Okay, there was a couple of you willing to be honest. That's nice. And so he said, I don't know, I went in my notes. I just, just, sometimes I just go. It's the coffee. I can't help it. And then he said to them, follow me and I will. Now, many of you know where this verse goes and you know what it, what it says. But if you don't know, maybe you would assume that Jesus said, follow me and I will make you holy. But that's not what he said. Maybe you think, Follow me and I will make you super spiritual where you need to wear heavy makeup and get a bad haircut or something, you know, or wear long dresses. I'm not sure. Follow me and, I, and I'll make you more organized and disciplined. No, you can get your stuff together. That's not, that's not what he said. He didn't say, follow me and I'll make you a better grandparent or a better spouse or a better friend. No, that's, that's not what he said. Follow you and I'll make you better looking. That's what you came here for. That's not what actually happens, Okay. It's somebody said, he said, follow me, and I'll make you something you're currently not. The rest of the verse says, then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In fact, Luke 5.10 says it this way. He said, from now on, you'll catch men. That's your job. Now, I get it. This, I, I, this, this message conjures up all kinds of tension in this room. 
Because if you're like me and you grew up in church, man, you, you were taught that the way that you were supposed to reach people and share your faith was to hand out tracts to everybody, right? Is, is to be that guy who said, all right, so I've got this little pamphlet that says turn or burn on the front of it, and I'm going to put it in your hand, and that's the thing that's going to change your life. And, I, and, and that's the thing that's going to make you realize that you need Jesus. Now, I'm sure that that may have been effective in somebody's life, but, but I feared that, right? I feared being that guy who, who would go and do that. In fact, I, I always got nervous about the idea of walking up to somebody and saying, excuse me, can I talk to you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That, that always made me nervous. It felt, it just, it, it felt hard to me. I, I, I'm just not that kind of personality. I mean, I know I'm standing up on a stage, but I'm really an introvert. People scare me sometimes. It's true. And so I, I, it made me nervous, and I can feel the tension in the room. In fact, you guys are already thinking that I'm going to give you a bunch of tracks. If you'll just turn around right here, you'll see all the guys. They're marching in right now. Guys, just go ahead and pass them out to everybody. There ain't nobody coming in. You guys are like, really? No. There's nobody coming in going to do that. We're not going to do that. In fact, I had a bad experience once with a track, and, I, and I'll tell you. Uh, so many of you know me. You know that, I, that I'm, I get excited about a penny, that's just on the ground. Like if I find a penny, that, that is my day made. You know what I'm saying? I, I love it. In fact, there was one Sunday that there was like a nickel laying on the floor up here. I saw it out of the corner of my eye and I said, excuse me, y'all. I stopped the message, stepped off and picked up the nickel and, and put it in my pocket. I just like, I like finding that kind of stuff. And one day, uh, and you really test that, like that desire to do that, to pick that kind of stuff up when you see money laying on the floor in the bathroom. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like the worst scenario. Like you are just like, oh, there's money, right? Like especially when it's like in the urinal, you know what I'm saying? And you're just like, if I had some gloves, but where am I going to use that? Do I put it in the piggy bank if I retrieve it? Like what do I do with that after I've got it, you know? Anyway, so... So you, you just really struggle with that. And one day I walked in and there was a $20 bill on the floor in the bathroom. Now, it was not in the walkway. It was not near the sinks. It wasn't anywhere in the clean spaces. And I'll, I'll spare you the details about where it was sitting, but know that it was in an undesirable area. I looked at that $20 bill laying on the ground and I thought, I can get rid of it really quick. So I reached down and I picked it up. And you know what? Daggone it. You opened it up and it said, Jesus loves you. It was not a $20 bill. It was one of those tracks. I was like, I already know Jesus loves me. I wanted a $20 bill. So now I've got this thing in my hand. And now I've got stuff on my hands as well. And I'm a little irritated, right? So, so I get it. I, I understand. I, I understand why, why that makes you nervous. I, I, I get but what I want to do is, is I want to teach you about how, to, how you share your faith and, and so that you understand the joy behind it as well. That's what we're going to do today. And, and the reason I'm going to do that is because followers fish. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you're supposed to do. You, you're supposed to fish, but you don't, you don't have to necessarily do it that way. And I know, that, I know what happens when you start talking about this. You come up with all kinds of excuses as to why you can't do it. Why you're exempt from being able to do it. And, and it reminds me of, of this guy who was kind of swerving all over the place. He got pulled over by a police. And the police officer said, listen, sir. He said, you're swerving all over the place. We're going to need to have you do a breathalyzer test. And the guy said, I can't do that. He said, I, he said I'm an asthmatic. He said, if I, if I take this, I'm liable to just die here. So I, I can't do that. And the officer said, that's fine. He said, we'll have, to, we'll have to take you down to the station and do a blood test. And the guy said, I can't do that. He said, why not? He said, well, I'm a hemophiliac. He said, if you poke me and, and try to take my blood, I'm, I'm likely to bleed out and die. And the, the officer said, that's fine. Well, I'm just going to need you to walk this straight line then. The guy said, I can't do that. He said, how come? The guy said, because I'm drunk. I just can't. <laughs> 
So you might be, you might be here and you might be thinking of a lot of excuses to why you're exempt from doing this, but, but I've, I've kind of thought through some of the excuses, and I would think your first excuse why you don't fish is because you didn't know you were supposed to fish. And I hope by now that's clear that, that this is part of what we are. This is part of who we are. We, we have an individual responsibility to be fishers of men, all right? If we're followers, that's what we do. The second reason you don't fish is because you, you don't know how to fish. You're not really sure. You, you don't know how to go about it the right way, and so maybe you've been trying lots of different ways and nothing seems to be effective. Well, I'm here to help you, to prepare you for that, right? I want to I teach you how to do that so that you can go and do that. The third reason we don't fish is because we're afraid to fish. Like, honestly, we, we might be a little embarrassed to do it because you're like, Aaron, I don't really know the words to say. And, and, re- and really, if I tried to talk to somebody about my faith, what if they know more about what they believe? I might convert. I don't know if I'm that strong in my faith. Like, you know, I, I just, like I'm scared to have that conversation. I get it. Maybe, maybe that's where you're at. Or, or maybe... Maybe the idea of sharing your faith, you conjure like a negative image. Like maybe what you imagine is somebody that, that just wears like an all-white suit, you know, white shoes. And, or, or maybe they're just somebody who stands on a street corner. They don't have a platform and, and they've got a sign and they're just yelling, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn or burn or you'll go to hell where the worm never dies and there's gnashing of teeth, right? It's like I, I've seen all kinds of people like that. Has anybody ever seen one of those kind of people? I've seen them. And, and I'm like, man, I'm not sure if that's really beneficial, like maybe God can use that, and he probably does, to, to get people's attention at the right time. But for me, I was just like, I don't think you're helping the cause. Like, I, I'm not sure that that's the most effective way to reach people. In fact, if, you, if you're a Christ follower and you're here today, I want you to think about the person that led you to Christ. Just consider them for a moment. What are the words you would use to describe them? They're probably somebody that is kind, somebody that was loving, gentle and generous. In fact, for me, I, you know, I, I grew up in church. So I, I was like born into Christendom. I was born into all of this. I knew who Jesus was from a little kid. I was baptized at age eight. I, I knew God had placed a call on my life to be in ministry at age 16. Like I, I knew that. I was following Jesus. I was serving in a church in leadership capacity. In fact, I was serving at this one church out in Canal Winchester. It's, it was a mega church. And we were serving in the youth ministry. And, and man, we were winning kids to Jesus left and right. Man, they were, they were on fire. They loved Jesus, man. They, they were living very righteous lifestyles in a very, very dark place. And if y'all know our public school systems, you know that's a tough place to love Jesus. That's a tough place to be a Christ follower. And these kids were doing it. They were bringing their friends to church and they were saying yes to Jesus and surrendering all. It was amazing. And in the middle of this ministry, I, I met a guy named Rocco. Rocco's one of those guys. Rocco, Rocco had like an entourage, right? Rocco was like, this dude, he rolled like five deep everywhere he went. He was cool. He had an entourage before there was a television show. Before Snoop and Dre and all of them had an entourage, there was Rocco. And he had a crowd of people around him all the time. And everybody wanted to be part of Rocco's entourage. Well, Rocco and I became fast friends and we got in all kinds of mischief, but a lot of fun too, serving Jesus and, and having a great time. Rocco's the guy who taught me how to be bold in my faith and how to share my faith. So Rocco and I are walking out this life with Jesus, and, and at some point in time, Rocco, who's, who was married at the time, his marriage began to fall apart, and, and Rocco, Rocco and his wife separated, and, and that offense and that pain in his heart took him away from everything that he knew. It took him away from God. It took him away from his, his great relationships, and he began to pursue other things, and, 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 and very close behind him, the same thing happened to me. My first marriage fell apart, and and I started, I, I got mad at God and said, you know, God, I don't want nothing to do with your people. 
And because of that, I know I don't want anything to do with you because you're all about your people. And I walked far from God. And in the middle of all that mess, man, I got, I got tangled up and I started drinking. I went to strip clubs. I, I dove into pornography hardcore. And I, I really got myself deep into an addiction that I didn't even understand. We didn't even have words to describe it then. Science is now catching up with it. And we have better words to describe that and to help people understand what's happening to their brains when they view pornography. But we didn't have all that then. And I was stuck, and then I remarried, and, and you know, we, we, I said, I, I gave my heart and life back to Jesus a little bit. I didn't surrender completely, and shortly, a few years later, after I remarried, man, I took the pen back from God, as my wife was talking about last week. You know, God was writing our story. We took the pen back and started doing things our own way, and I got deeper and deeper into, into addiction and deep, farther and farther away from God. But Rocco, Rocco being my best friend, had started coming back to the Lord into a relationship. He'd found himself a church that, that he was experiencing healing and where he was, he was fully surrendering to God. And so knowing that I was in a bad place, knowing that my marriage was headed for failure, knowing that I was in a deep addiction, because Rocco knew he was my best friend, I told him everything. Knowing that, knowing that I was skeptical of churches and couldn't stand church people, Rocco did the unthinkable. He invited me to church on an Easter Sunday, and Rocco tossed out a lure to me like I was a fish, right? And he said, hey, he said, this church, my kids love the, the, the kids' ministry there. Your kids are going to love it too. Check, that's important to me. He said, and he said, the pastor's pretty funny. He said, you need to come hear this guy. I said, all right, I'm in. I like comedy. I like all kinds of comedy stuff. I like comedy shows. I like comedians. I'm in. And so I bit, and I went that Easter Sunday, and my wife continued, and I, my wife and I continued to go back over and over again, and I eventually surrendered my life. And the, and the rest is this. This is what's become of that. God restored my family, restored my marriage, and, and everything changed for me. He even restored a call to ministry that I knew that I had when I was younger. All because Rocco invited me. Because Rocco tossed out the right lure, right? He knew what would get me to come. And I don't even know how long you've been praying for me, but I'm thankful for Rocco because of his invitation, I came. Rocco was fishing for me. So why are we talking about this now? Because life goes in seasons, right? There's, there's a physical season where there's a time to plant, time to water, and a time to harvest, where we, we harvest our crops, and there's spiritual seasons as well. And I can't quite explain it to you, but there's two seasons a year where people start to come back to church. It's in January and it's in September. People, they settle down from their traveling schedule, and they, and they start looking for a church, and for whatever reason, more people are biting on an opportunity to have a relationship with God in September, in this, in, 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 in this fall season. We, we, I can't explain it to you. It's just statistically correct. And so we're talking about this now because I want to prepare you for the season when people are biting so that you understand how to fish. During our 21 days of prayer, we're kind of shaking off this summer slump, and one of the main focuses of our time in prayer is the lost. Lord, help us. Help us reach people that are far from you. Help us be wise. Help us be welcoming, and help us be ready. Help us. This has been our prayer so that people come to you. And so I'll tell you that, that in these seasons, we're preparing for people. So what's gonna happen is this, the, for the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about this subject of reaching people and how to fish. And then in September, what I'm gonna do is launch a series that is just for lost people. It's just for them. They're gonna love it. It's called toxic. We'll talk about toxic relationships, toxic thoughts, 
uh, toxic words, toxic religion, and, and a lot of uh, and, uh, toxic influences that they'll benefit a lot from. They're going to love coming to that. And then after that, that series, I'll do one for you that's just to feed you, right? It'll, it'll just build you up in the spirit. That's, that's what a good pastor will do. They'll lead and then they'll feed you. They'll lead you and then they'll feed you. And I'm doing that intentionally because what's going to happen is more and more people are going to come. And we need to be built up and ready for them when they come. And then in November, what we're going to do is a series that a lot of churches across the country do, but it's called At the Movies. And we're going to take popular movies that have spiritual truths and principles in them, and we're going to look at those and talk about those and how, how they play out in our lives. And, and lost people love to come. We're going to have popcorn and characters in the lobby. And like it's just going to be a good time. We've never done it before. I don't even know what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. People are going to say yes to Jesus. So it'll be a great time to invite your friend. And so that's why we're doing these three weeks. This season that is upon us, people are saying yes. And I need you to be ready. I need you to be prepared so that we can do something significant together. And what is that? It's reaching far, the people that are far from God, winning the lost. So let's do it together and let's talk about four reasons that we need to fish as we close out our time this morning. The first reason is because fishing is fun. Fishing is fun. Now when I was growing up, I, I was not a fisherman. I enjoyed the casting of the, of the, the line. I enjoyed the, the bobber and the, and the fun time we had sitting around drinking our Diet Coke with honey, honey glazed nuts inside. Anybody ever do that? You got the glass bottles. I, mean, I loved that time, the fellowship time with my family. It was great. But I didn't always like the fishing part. In fact, the reason I didn't like it, I had an issue with the bait. My dad always wanted me to bait my own hook, right? And that meant taking a little wormy guy and, like, I don't like to wrap the worm around the hook. I never like to poke the worm. You know what I'm saying? Like, that just felt a little too violent to me. My dad just pick up that worm and, like, break it in half. And here you go, son. You're going to bait your own hook. No, I'm not. That's slimy. I ain't touching that. No. So I never liked it. But then I discovered you could take bread and you could put it on the hook and press it. And I'd stab your finger and then press it some more and add some blood to it. It's nice. It's fine. They like it. And you toss it out there. And that little bread priest is going to fly. But my dad didn't see it. So it doesn't matter. I'm just fishing with my dad. Didn't catch nothing all day long. But I'm still hanging out with my dad. Fishing's fun. But it was the bait I had an issue with. Most of you, when it comes to fishing for men, it's the bait that you have a problem with. Because nobody's told you how to bait the hook with something that they're going to like. We'll talk about that this week, in the next coming weeks, though. But I promise you, fishing isn't scary. I just wish that, I, I wish you could experience it because it's one of the greatest experiences that, that you can have in your Christian walk, knowing that you played a role in their eternal destination changing. It's incredible for them, and it's incredible for you. It's joyful watching somebody surrender their lives to Jesus, isn't it? It's just absolutely beautiful. It's fun. In fact, the Bible talks about it in light of fun. Look at Luke 15, 10. It says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I quote this every Sunday, don't I? That ever, all of heaven is having a party. The angels have got a lampshade on their head and somebody's blowing a shofar, which is just a trumpet, by the way. They're up there having a good time. And the number isn't like, you know, when, when we have, in the business world, we have like goals, right? We've got numbers that we want to hit. And God's like, hey, listen, we're going to throw a party over this number. Are you ready? It's not 100. It's not 1,000. We're going to throw a party every time one repents. I love it that in heaven there's a party every Sunday when somebody says yes. There's a party over one. That sounds awesome to me. I think it would be as, as fun as if you had the cure to cancer. 
Like if you actually had the cure to cancer, wouldn't you just be walking around and you get a cure and you get a cure, everybody gets a cure. You're like Oprah, you know what I mean? Just giving it out to everybody. You, everybody gets the cure. And how sad it would be if you actually had the cure to cancer and you didn't give it to anybody. And you just kind of held on to it. They say Chuck Norris's tears can cure cancer. <laughs> Chuck Norris never cries. That's a sad day. That wasn't even in my notes. That was just free for you guys. Now, <laughs> but, but, but we have something greater than the cure for cancer. We, we, we have something greater. We have the cure for, the, for, for, for misery and hopelessness. We, we have that. And we need to share it. We have what people are looking for. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 says this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. This work of reconciliation is just a big word that means it brings the balance to zero. It's kind of what you do on your monthly bank statements. It brings the balance to zero. And he says that he gave us the ministry. Who's the us? It's us, right? It's you guys. It's me and you. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, of telling people, hey, the debt that you've incurred because of the way you've been living your life, that's sin. Your debt's zero. We get to tell people that. He gave us that work. And he said that God, and this is the message, that God was reconciling the world. In other words, bringing everything to zero through Christ. Jesus did it. This is what we get to tell people. He said, and, and then he explains it again for those of us that aren't, aren't quick and catching on so far. He says, not counting men's sins against them. I'm thankful that that stuff is there, right? And it says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He gave us the message to tell people, hey, you don't have to pay for this. Jesus paid the price for you. You don't have to do this on your own. Has anybody ever been at a restaurant where, where you, you ordered a bunch of stuff and somebody else paid your bill? Like full on. You went to the restaurant, you ordered your peach bellini tea. And you ordered... That cheese dip, it's just, it's just a big thing of cheese. It's melted, and you can just they give you little crackers. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then you got the chicken gnocchi soup coming because you, you'd like to not have a salad that day. You've ordered yourself a little, a little boat of Alfredo to dip all your breadsticks in. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Mm, and all the Olive Gardens. And then your chicken Alfredo shows up and, and you make quick work of that and the tiramisu magically appears before you and the angels sing, oh. You've racked up a huge bill. Anybody ever done this? Anybody want to do that today? A few of you. So it's time for the bill. And the bill shows up. You know you've earned it. And you got to pay it. Somebody paid it for you? I like to do that. I like to see, be out in restaurants and see people that I know, and they don't see me. I just creep on them a little bit, and I call, call their waitress over. Hey, I'm going to pay that bill. You know them? That doesn't matter. I just want to pay it. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. And I pay Don't tell them. Don't point at me. Don't tell them I'm here. I just want to pay them. Then I just sit there and watch them. I just watch them. And that bill shows up and it's a $0 bill and they can't do nothing about it. The price has already been paid. There's nothing they can do to pay it. It's already done. 
And I watch him as joy sweeps over him in confusion. Who did this? I love it. It's amazing. It's a great feeling. And this is what we get to tell people. Hey, your debt's been settled. You don't have to pay that bill. What joy is ours to do that? I mean, it's, it's incredible that we get to do it. The verse continues and says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I like that word. That makes me a dignitary. I don't think I'm anything close to a dignitary. I don't like wearing suits and dressing up, but I'm his dignitary. In his new order, in the Christ kingdom, he's Lord. He's my boss. And I'm him's in the flesh. I'm to get to be his ambassador. When you're looking at me, you're looking at him. That's what ambassador means. I represent that guy. I like that. We get to be his ambassadors. To go and represent him in an official capacity. And it even says it clearer as though God were making his appeal through us. As if, it's, as if he was sending Christ in our flesh to do it. It's us. God's plan to hear this good news is through us. There's no plan B, guys. He's not like waiting around and when we don't do it, he's going to go, all right, launch plan B. We'll go ahead and send the angels down and they're going to do it. No, he, he's waiting on us to do it. He, he wants us to go. Fishing's fun. It's also necessary. That's the second thing. Look, let me, let me look up here for one second. If you're looking at your phones, put them down for a second. Look here. Look here. Take a break from your phone. Take a break from Facebook and your notes. Seriously. This isn't a game. This is not about building simple church. This is not an organizational plan to take over the world. This is a serious thing because heaven and hell is a real place. And people go there. And whether or not they go there, a large part of that is dependent on us. And whether or not we're willing to take our role to fish seriously. It's on us. Are we willing to go and be carriers of the message? And I'm not trying to make you feel bad about your life and condemn you and say, how, how come you haven't been doing it? I'm, I'm not trying to do any of that, but we need to realize that we need to do it. In fact, look what the verse says in Romans 10, 13 through 15. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, if they don't call on the name of the Lord, if they don't call on Jesus' name, they won't be saved. That means there's no other way. It's not Krishna. It's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. There's no other name except Jesus. If they don't call on his name, there's one place or the other they're going to go. And the verse continues on just to convince you a little more. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? That's a great question, Paul. He doesn't even give us a chance to think about it. He asks us another one. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Good question, Paul. He doesn't wait. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Well, who's the someone? Everybody point your finger at your chest and say, I'm a someone. Go, oh, yeah, all right. You don't believe it yet. That's okay. You will by the end of this series and today, I'm telling you. You're a someone. You're the someone to tell them. Then he says, and how can they, oh yeah, I said that already, that's you. And then he says, and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? In other words, we ain't been prepared, Aaron, nobody's told us how. Welcome to Reach. That's why we're doing this series. And then he says, that is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Can I just tell you, feet are nasty. <laughs> Come on, you can't just read your Bible, you got to read your Bible. When you're reading what it says, I would never call anybody's feet beautiful. Here's the two phases of feet. You ready? Ugly and uglier. That's it. That's the only two categories feet fall in. I've never seen a foot, and I thought, man, that is, a, that is one attractive foot. 
Serious. My wife hates feet. I can't touch her with my feet. Even if she's dead asleep, if I put my foot on her in the middle of the night, and it's not because it's cold, she just knows. She's, she knows what a raunchy foot looks like, because all of them raunchy, and when they touch her in the middle of the night, she will wake up from a dead sleep, snoring, pass out cold, and kick me off of her because she don't want to touch feet. In fact, I rejoiced this past week. I got a splinter in my foot, and I said, babe, I can't get this splinter. I've been working on it for an hour. I'm going to need you to touch my feet and get this out. And she said, okay. See, I celebrate that because I know how much my wife loves me because she was touching my feet, you know, because she just don't like them. My feet is nasty. They're nasty. But look what he said. It says, beautiful are the feet. Look, they're going to love what you've got to share with them so much that even your feet are going to look beautiful to them. This is what it's saying. You understand this? Beautiful are your feet. Fishing's fun and it's necessary. Now I get it. Some of you, some of you might push back a little bit. If you, you've been following Christ for a while, maybe you've been around one of these doctrines that teach predestination where they say, hey, there's only a certain amount of people that are going and it doesn't really matter what you do. The people that God have chosen to go are the only ones that are gonna go. And so they have this irresistible grace and whether you want to or not, you're gonna go to heaven. Can I tell you, there's no greater doctrinal error that I've found than that one. Because the Bible says this. He says, the Lord is not slow. It's in 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to come to repentance. It's not just for the elect few. It's, it's, it's just not. It's necessary that we fish. The third one, the third reason we go fishing, and this is the one reason I could have just given you this one and we could have been done. It's because Jesus asked us to go. See, Jesus is El Jefe. That's Spanish for the boss. When you've made Jesus Lord of your life, he's in charge. That means whatever he says goes. But I get it. Given today's culture and the climate that we live in, we question authority. We? We, we've been taught to do that. We don't listen to authority. Unless we understand it and see the benefit of it, the answer is no. But I come from a generation when my dad said jump, I was jumping. And then I could ask while I was in the air how high. You understand what I'm saying? I understood authority. This current generation, this world doesn't seem to understand it. But Jesus, when you make him Lord of your life, you let him be in authority over you. I remember the first time I read this. I was reading it in a book, and the guy who wrote it, when he said it as clearly and as plainly as that, even though I was following Jesus already and already on board for being obedient to him, I said, how can you say that to me? I threw my book. How can you say that? Tell me what to do. Jesus, I love you. Tell me what to do. I didn't. I'm, we push back on authority. I said, Lord, what is that in me? Be Lord. And he asked us to do it. In fact, when you look in the Bible, the four Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament that tell the story of Jesus, those first four books and the fifth book that follows it, the book of Acts, all record the end of Jesus' life, his ministry on this earth. And here's what they say. He asked us in all five places he says in Matthew 28, 19, therefore go, not gather, not come here, go 
and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into the world and preach the good news to all creation. Luke 24, 47, it was also written that the message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. John 20, 21, again, he said to you, peace be with you as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Acts 1, 8, are you ready? Can you handle more? The fifth one, you will receive power. Why? So you can have a good time in church? No, you'll receive power So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. In other words, you'll be able to tell people what Jesus has done for you. Because you weren't around when he was here. You don't get to talk, get to tell him, hey, I saw Jesus hang on the cross. But you can tell him what Jesus has done in your life. You're his witnesses. He'll give you the power to do that. This is what we call the Great Commission. We're a Great Commission church. In fact, look, we love you. We're here to care for you and serve you and be a part of your life. But as soon as you say yes to the lordship of Christ, this church ain't here for you no more. No, 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 don't misunderstand me. We're going to love you and serve you and care for you. But you're now part of the team and you're joining the search party where we're looking for more lost people. You understand what I'm saying? That we get it all confused. We get it all confused because we think church is just about us serving our needs. And yes, we're here to do that, to love you. Don't misunderstand me, but our goal, our vision is to reach. It's to reach. If you're here because you think it's all about you, you probably won't like this church very much, being honest with you. And I share all this because we tend to think it is about us. We forget that we're followers and we've been commissioned to fish. Now, here's the last reason we need to fish, and this is the one that I've really struggled with all week long. Because for me to kind of grapple with this last part. It's not a place I like to go to. But the last reason we need to fish is because we were all fish once. We, We were all fish once. I thank God for Rocco in my life. And don't get me wrong, there were many others. Scott Harvey, who's sitting here on the back row today, was also there for me too through this time period, but but Rocco made the invite that I bid on. And I thank God for Rocco, because here's what happened. In the darkest time of my life, he cast a lure that I bid on. So you don't understand, on the outside it looked like I had it all together. On the outside, everything looked fine. But my marriage was failing. I was, I was certain in 2010 that my marriage would end by the end of the year and it would have been the second failed marriage that I've experienced. I was so addicted to pornography that day in and day out, I was binging on the material. The moment that my children went to bed and my wife who worked third shift went to work, I was binging on pornography and watching. And every night before I watched, my hands would tremble and shake. And I'd pray to God, God, get me out of this. Stop me. I've heard so many stories where you've delivered people from their addictions. But what about me? Don't you love me? Night after night, I prayed. And I cried. countless mornings I stood in my shower crying because it was the only safe place for me to do that. Because for somebody to just catch me bawling just, just without, without understanding 
would have meant that I'd had to tell somebody what I was struggling with. And I was, I was terrified. And I was in my shower and I'd cry out to God, I'd ask him, help me. Help me. There was no hope for me. The gospel wasn't good news to me. I was honestly praying every day. God, would you just take me from this world? Would you just take me? I I knew the pain and the burden that suicide left behind, and I didn't want to leave my family with questions. I didn't want them to think that maybe if they had done more, if they had loved me more, I didn't want them to carry that burden if I took my own life. So I asked God, I said, could you just give me a heart attack? Could you just let a semi run me over? Could you just, is there anything we could do? Natural God, just take me out of this world. I can't do this anymore. Had no hope. I believed in his existence. I was calling on his name, but I was still lost. I didn't trust his church and his people. My best friend Rocco, he cast a line. He knew how I felt about church. He knew how I felt about God. He risked our relationship and he said, Aaron, you got to come. And I went. And I'm not going to tell you everything changed the moment I walked into the door. But we kept going back. And I discovered people that loved God and that loved each other and were willing to love you no matter where you were. I found a place where I could share what I'd been struggling with without judgment. I found people that were willing to pray for me and support me and love me through that. I found people that said, it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way, so come on. I found hope. I found Jesus. And there I learned to fully surrender, not partially surrender like so many of you today. We partially surrendered. We still want to control a lot in our lives, but when I fully surrendered, God restored my marriage, broke that addiction off of my life, restored my calling, kept my family together. All because somebody went fishing for me. Somebody was reaching for me. And somebody's reaching for you. God is looking for you, whether you're Dora or Nemo, I don't know. He's looking for you. Just like he was looking for me. I want to share this last verse and we're going to pray. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For Christ's love compels us. Not the words, I love you. Those don't compel anybody. Those nowadays, we know that's cheap. Jesus laid down his life for us and showed us he loved us. He demonstrated his love for me. And that love, that hope, compels me to tell other people. Because we are convinced that one died for all. He died for all of us. Not just me. Let's pray today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want 
ask you to ask, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And I, I'm gonna tell you, what I believe he'd tell you is that, that, that what I'm preaching today is right. That, that, that what I'm saying is right to you today, that, that in response to what we're talking about today, you need to pray about how you can do this and be committed to learning how to fish. There's no greater joy seeing someone give their lives to Jesus and knowing that you had a part of that. Beyond the fact that followers fish, this is, this is what we need to do. So God, I pray that you help us be fishers of men. Would you teach us, Lord? Would you, would you absolve us of our fears and our concerns, God? Would you just show us how to love people and how to share our story, Lord? Would be, we be open and receptive to answering the call to fish? And God, help us understand that, that our congregations must grow simply because of this call. This is what's going to happen. We may be at three services. We may be at four services. We may have to find a new building and demand for I, I don't know what's going to happen, Lord, but it's not just about growing this church. It's about growing your, your people. Let us never be just content with this just for us, God. Let us value and prioritize people. And there's some of you that are here today, you're asking the Holy Spirit, hey, what, what, what are you trying to say to me? And he's going to tell you that it's you. Maybe you're the one that's lost. Maybe you're the one that's hopeless. Maybe you're the one that is desperate right now for something more. And if that's you, I'm going to tell you that this is your moment. This is your moment to begin a journey, understanding God's love for you. This is the moment where you can say yes to Jesus that you can, you can open your heart, that hopelessness will go, the brokenness will be healed. You'll no longer be lost, you'll be found. Maybe you're like me, you, you just wanted to end it all because of how desperate you feel. And I'm here to tell you the answer to all that you need is found in Jesus. And today you can, you can make a statement the Bible says that if you're going to make that decision, it needs to be a public one. So if you're going to make a public one, here's what it looks like. I'm not going to make you come up to the front or stand up or anything. I'm just right where you're at. Christians, you need to be praying in this moment. Right where you're at, if you would just say, Aaron, I need to make that commitment to Jesus. I need to make him Lord of my life. Would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I need to make him Lord. Do that now. Just say right now, that's me, right where I'm at. Be bold. Don't worry about anybody sitting next to you. Say, that's me right now. I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. Yeah, it's awesome. If you're watching or listening by the podcast, you can do this right where you're at. Just pray with us. Church, let's pray together. Nobody needs to pray alone. Just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new today. Be Lord of my life. That means you're in charge. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus.